You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the You Are Not Broken podcast. This is our July live podcast recording, and I'm so excited to be with you today. My audience members are in the Riverside app watching live, um, which is awesome. Um, I'm a little late today coming on because I was just interviewing Dr. Avram Blooming, who is the co-author with Carol Tavris of Estrogen Matters, while taking why taking hormones in menopause can improve women's well-being and lengthen their lives without raising the risk of breast cancer. And uh, we were having some audio malfunction, so I and, and I was interviewing the amazing Dr. Blooming, so like I ran a little late, so hope you don't mind. That podcast is going to come out in a couple of weeks once we get it edited up. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. What a gift. Inspiration, optimism, facts, science. Stop being afraid without good reason to be afraid. That is, that is the uh, takeaway from that. How many people are living in fear without even understanding why? That would be my takeaway from that conversation that I just had. Big happenings in the You Are Not Broken media empire. I'm just going to call it that to manifest. The You Are Not Broken media empire in July of this year. So <clears throat> for those who don't know, because I do not want to assume you guys know what's going on in my life, the TED Talk is not yet up. I repeat, the TED Talk is not yet up. Um, they have it. They like it. I did not get banned nor kicked off. I did not say vulva too many times or something completely inappropriate. They are saving it. They are going to likely promote it. Um, I don't know anything else. So I'll let you guys know as soon as I know. Follow me on Instagram for more, Kelly Casperson MD. And then I just started a Facebook group called You Are Not Broken for you or all your friends who don't want to be on Instagram but want to follow me on a group in Facebook, you can head over to Facebook. You are not broken. It is a group and you can hang out there and ask questions, which is super fun. What else should I plug for you guys today? Um, I want to plug the new sex ed masterclass that just came out that last week. We already have like a half a dozen people signed up for that. And all of my members for the monthly health and hormone membership get the adult sex ed masterclass for free. So for all of you fiscally responsible people out there, the Health and Hormones membership is under $50 a month. The Adult Sex Ed Masterclass is $79. So join the membership. You get the Adult Sex Ed Masterclass for free. And then if you don't have tech issues like I did, you can sit in on live interviews like Dr. Blooming, except for not today, sorry, because we had tech issues. Um, but you're going to get those things like live right when they come out. So my members are getting this podcast and the Avram Blooming talk on the day that they happened, unedited, without advertisements, because you're welcome. So if you have any interest in that, go to kellycaspersonmd.com or go down in the show notes and see what's going on. So check out the Adult Sex Ed Masterclass. This is not the disease and pregnancy prevention plan that you got in eighth grade, my friends. This is adulting, where we do adulting things, like we feel our feelings, and we learn how to communicate, and we say words like vulva and clitoris. We actually talk about a clitoris. We talk about lube. We talk about toys. We talk about, there's a bonus in there on how to talk to your doctor, because uh, so, that's helpful. And we talk about hormones. 
I don't think any of us got any of that in your disease and pregnancy prevention plan in eighth grade. That is the adult sex ed that we never got. That's the basically the talk of the TED Talk when it comes out. Adult sex ed will unbreak the world is the name of that TED Talk. So I made the adult sex ed masterclass to go with that TED Talk. Um, the other big happenings today, today is July, is that my book, You Are Not Broken, Stop Shooting All Over Your Sex Life, is currently number one in human sexuality on Kindle today on Amazon which is awesome. It's been out for 13 months. My book is a is a now a one-year-old. And today, the, there's nothing like that little orange flag that Amazon gives you when you're number one in a category. My category is number one in human sexuality. So that's pretty awesome. All right, that is like all the housekeeping of the things. Now I want to talk about some other cool things that are that are on my list for my July podcast. Um, I saw this post in a Facebook group that I'm on and I wanted to talk about it because I think it's fascinating and worth talking about. This post is about the power of having orgasms as far as use it or lose it goes. So this poster said, I believe that regular orgasms via any means necessary are very good for your vaginal tone, lubrication, and sexual health in general. Um, and this was nice because they weren't shooting. They weren't saying you had to have penis and vagina or even be partnered. They were just saying that possibly consistent orgasms can help your pelvic floor, release some nice oxytocin, do all the things. And maybe that maybe there is a use it or lose it uh, to that. And then somebody had put in the comments, well, Casperson said that use it or lose it, it's bullshit. And here's her podcast episode. And I wanted to clarify, and I did clarify in the Facebook group, the use it or lose it of which I call bullshit on is that having sex prevents atrophy or having sex prevents genital urinary syndrome of menopause. Having sex does not make your body make more hormones. It's not how it works. So the use it or lose it for that is bullshit. Now there is some data on the use it or lose it theory with frequent orgasms and erections both in men and in women. So off the top of my head in the male data, there is some use it or lose it and some current studies going on to say how many erections a week, X, Y, Z, to keep the smooth muscle tone healthy so that it's easy to get an erection, so it's easy to get an erection versus I haven't had an erection in a while, it's harder to get an erection. Is there a use it or lose it component to that? Those researchers say, yes, there is. And then in the female data, there is actually a study looking at postpartum pelvises and they said this group of women gets no advice and then this group of women we want you to have an orgasm but we don't care how you do it. You can, you can masturbate, you can be partnered, you can put something in your vagina, you don't have to put something in your vagina. Your goal is just an orgasm and I believe that was twice a week. So what they, I can't remember what their actual endpoints were but what I remember from the study is that by six months, the orgasm twice a week group had less pain with partnered sexual activity than, or maybe just sexual activity in general, but less pain compared to the group that they didn't give any instructions to and therefore didn't have as many orgasms because they actually still measured like how many, how many, tell us how many times a week you have orgasms. So I love that this, this topic came up because it's kind of a nice way to suss out like 
use it or lose it is bullshit for what specifically and might not be bullshit for what else specifically, right? So, and of course, any use it or lose it that is used with a shoulding sentence to get people to sleep with people always makes me cringy in the first place. But eh, orgasms might be good for, you know, it's like exercise, right? Like it is use it or lose it. Like if I stop working out, I'm going to be less toned with less muscle and be less strong, right? Nobody's going to argue with that. Nobody's going to say that use it or lose it is bullshit. And I think that's where this orgasm, use it or lose it, of knowing how to have the skill of orgasm, pelvic floor contractions, stronger pelvic floor contractions, better ability to have an orgasm because you're more, for lack of better words, tuned up, right? I think there is some validity. I'd love to see some more studies. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is delaying sexual onset. This paper just came out, and I have the link in the show notes. And I think it's, this paper is so important to dispel the myth of teaching teenagers sex ed leads to them being more promiscuous, which is like in the zeitgeist of like why people don't want to talk to their teenagers or have teachers, whether in the public or private sector, teach this, right? So this paper looked uh, was is called Delaying Sexual Onset, Outcome of a Comprehensive Sexuality Education Initiative for Adolescents in Public Schools. So they said, according to the World Health Organization, teenage pregnancy is a public health problem, which has negative effects such as school dropout, abuse of children raised by adolescents, and limited academic or job growth. These factors often serve to perpetuate the cycle of poverty. So it's like, I don't care who you are, even if you think you're, if you're a person who like doesn't think sex is healthy and like has all all these limiting beliefs on sex, you're probably not listening to my podcast in the first place. But like, not one of those things was like, it's bad because it's morally, you shouldn't have sex before you're married, right? Like this is like significant financial, social, societal implications to people not, uh, not delaying pregnancy till adulthood basically. Okay, so what they did, the methods, 75 public school teachers were trained in participatory and innovative techniques for for comprehensive education and sexuality, and the results were teachers increased their knowledge of sexuality after training significantly. 83.3% of students in the intervention school reported using a contraceptive method in their last sexual relations, while 58.3% did so in the comparison schools significant increase, like 30% increase in using a contraceptive method. The students in the comparison school, so the not sex ed school, were 4.7 times more likely to start sexual initiation than students in the intervention schools. Statistically significant. So the conclusion is training in comprehensive sexuality improved teachers' knowledge about sexual and reproductive health Students who received counseling from teachers who were trained in participatory and innovative techniques for comprehensive sexuality used more contraceptive protection and delayed sexual debut. Mic drop, you guys. Education works. Education works. Education does not make you more promiscuous. I'll look up the look up the definition of promiscuous because now I'm curious about it. But uh, does not make you more promiscuous, does not make you more likely to get pregnant. Actually, you are, you use more protection and you delay your sexual debut. I love it. Okay, next article comes from the Journal of Urology. Uh, Volume 210, 
July 2023. This is a prospective randomized double blind blind placebo controlled clinical trial which is about as good of a study as you can get for this looking at platelet-rich plasma or PRP for the treatment of erectile dysfunction. So as we know erectile dysfunction is a common problem in men. There's an increasing interest in restorative therapies such as PRP or platelet-rich plasma that may be capable of reversing underlying pathology and re-establishing natural spontaneous erections. So they randomized people with mo- mild to moderate erectile dysfunction. They're randomized one-on-one, one-to-one to receive PRP or placebo. Uh, and regardless of randomization, all patients underwent two sessions of intracavernosal injections separated by about a month. So the study found that PRP did not significantly improve erectile function compared to placebo at one month after the second injection. PRP injection was well tolerated with no significant adverse effects. Basically, this means save your money, you people. Save your money. Platelet-rich plasma is not covered by insurance, is in the thousands of dollars, and it is no better than placebo in this randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. The other interesting thing about this, which if you guys have listened to me, you know, is the, the... Response rate in the placebo arms for sexual medicine studies is astonishingly high. You know, what we learned from the placebo arm of Viagra, which is like the initial studies, is um, Viagra placebo works 40% of the time, which is pretty incredible. So the platelet-rich plasma, the placebo group, uh, got a clinically important significant difference uh, of 53% improvement and the mean international index of erectile uh, function so basically their erectile function domain uh, they changed from 17.4 at one month in the PRP group to 18.6 in the placebo so basically like they both got better your erections get better if you stick a needle in your penis don't do that. But you could do that probably for free <laughs> instead of paying thousands of dollars. So that's important though. The placebo arm got 50% of them got better. You guys, long pause, mic drop. Like, that's incredible. So save your money until we see better studies. Um, the, the Urology Association deems both shockwave therapy and PRP as investigational at this time. Please hold on to your money. All right, what next? Next, I wanted to talk about the An Economist article that came out uh, and at the beginning of June. They do this cool thing in the back of The Economist where they like show a bunch of graphs and then talk about it. And this was about increasing the take-up of HPV vaccine would slash future rates of cervical cancer. There's an, I think it's Australia, they don't mention it in this article, but I think it's Australia has basically virtually eliminated cervical cancer because I think they're, as a country, they've mandated the HPV vaccine. We're getting rid of a cancer, you guys. It's a big freaking deal. Uh, I think a lot of stigma on this, again, it's the same thing going back to the, the earlier in the podcast of like vaccinating, because you have to vaccinate everybody, right? Boys and girls. Um, that's my understanding, at least, is that that's going to lead to more promiscuity. Like, no, I just told you it's not. 
uh, or educating is not. So let's educate and let's vaccinate. Let's get rid. Cervical cancer is devastating. Not only does it not have a very high survival rate, the treatments, even if you do survive, have significant morbidity, uh, the surgery, the radiation, all the things. Okay, so it says, alongside ailments resulting from hepatitis B, cervical cancer has a strong claim to be the world's deadliest vaccine-preventable disease. Most illnesses for which effective vaccines for children are widely available no longer threaten public health. But in 2020, 14 years after the advent of a jab that prevents almost all cases, cervical cancer still killed 342,000 women. If take-up of the vaccine rose, this cancer could be nearly eliminated. 95% of cervical cancer cases are caused by HPV, a group of sexually transmitted viruses. So common is HPV that nearly every sexually active person contracts, contracts a strain. But there, there are nuns that have cervical cancer. Like, you can have HPV and not be sexually active. That's how ubiquitous it is. That's old data. I can't quote that for you right now. I just remember hearing about that. This deadly condition is the second most common cancer among women aged 15 to 44. In rich countries, five-year survival rates are around 70%. In the poorest countries, which account for 90% of deaths from cervical cancer, less than one in five women with the disease are thought to survive. The uptake of the HPV vaccine has been slow. Number one, uh, it has taken multiple jabs, right? So like there, it's a series of vaccines. Um, and some parents are squeamish about vaccinating young girls against a sexually transmitted virus. And the jabs benefits are not felt until the age when cervical cancer is diagnosed, usually 15 to 35 years later. So they just said that Another roadblock to getting more people vaccinated has been cleared. The World Health Organization said a single dose of the HPV jab provided full protection. This will vastly expedite vaccination efforts. In addition, firms in both China and India are now producing their country's first domestic HPV jabs. So they hope that they're going to be able to get a lot more access because they're making it in-house. So it's a pretty big, pretty big deal. Among girls eligible for vaccination by 2030, this new path would reduce the number who wind up dying of cervical cancer by 2.65 million when compared with the status quo. Maintaining the 90% rate beyond 2030 would prevent another 650,000 deaths among girls vaccinated in each subsequent year before accounting for population growth. With cheap single-dose vaccines on the horizon, such numbers may no longer be the stuff of fantasy." That's cool. That's very cool. Huge public health issues. These are women in their youth, you guys. Cervical cancer is a young disease, which prevents these people from being active in the economy, from being mothers, from fulfilling their life's true potential. All the things. So I love that. I love that The Economist is talking about that. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about was somebody who came into my office not that long ago complaining of low desire to the level of like the partner is leaving this person. And as she's crying in my clinic, I ask her some basic stuff, you know, biopsychosocial, remember, 
sex ed, adult sex ed, master class. Go get yours. You're talking about biopsychosocial. So I asked her all the biopsychosocial questions, right? She's got some health issues. She is a shift worker. She doesn't sleep properly. She's got some stress. She's got some young children. Uh, relationships on the rocks, right? All these things affect low desire, but she's thinking it's her hormones. That's what happens when we get fixated on hormones. Yes, sometimes it is your hormones, but hormones are not alone in a bubble of the the only problem with your low desire a lot of times. And that's what I told her. I'm like, listen, you've got a lot of different things happening in your, in your life, none of which are promoting a healthy sexuality. Do not think your hormones are the only answer to your problem. It might be the easy, sexy, simple answer, but not all the answers. So I asked her, I said, how many hours out of the week do you dedicate to yourself? Do you have to yourself? You can dedicate to yourself. She said zero. Like zero hours out of an entire week you take care of yourself or have to yourself. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, don't wonder why you don't have this desire for sex, ma'am. It's just another thing on your to-do list. And I said, this is an opportunity for personal growth. You don't have to take this as an opportunity for personal growth, but that's what this is. Don't think that just increasing your testosterone is going to change the stress, the lack of downtime, the, the stress, <laughs> the lack of self-care, the health issues that all are wrapped up in the biopsychosocial model of human sexuality, right? And I'm like, this could be a gift. This could be your wake-up call. This is a canary in the coal mine. Take it. Reprioritize your life. What life do you want to be living? And what gets me, I mean, it's, I like literally have been talking on this podcast for 21 minutes, which is longer than I have to talk to you in clinic or any of your doctors have to talk to you in clinic. Like it is hard to have these conversations with people in the current insurance-based model system of healthcare. But I don't get the feeling that people actually want to change their lives. I don't get the feeling that people actually want to be like, oh, what if my low desire is a gift in a twisted, unfortunate way of realizing what, to me learning how to say no, me learning how to prioritize boundaries, me learning how to prioritize my health, Right. Like, I know it is. I know this is a wake-up call for a lot of people, like especially the people who read my book and like take the time to think about it. But I am just not convinced that in a doctor's office, in a short time, they want a fix. They're coming to you for a fix, man. Like, it's just, is it not the right social setting for an aha moment? Like, I don't know. But answer that question. How many hours out of the week are you dedicating to yourself and you might learn something and you might realize why you have low sexual desire right so I wanted to talk uh, you know somebody had said this I don't I just I wrote it down and I don't remember who said it becoming sexually confident is an identity crisis right because if you're not currently sexually confident becoming that person means changing who you currently are Becoming sexually confident is an identity crisis. Agree or disagree? Right? Who do you have to become to become a sexually confident person? What do you have to start saying yes to? What do you have to start saying no to? How do you learn to generate desire? So many people are on the passive desire 
bandwagon waiting for if only desire would wash over me or come in a pill form desire waxes and wanes right remember your why remember why you want to desire if you want to desire a specific person are you acting and thinking in the way that generates that desire remind yourself what you want I was talking to, I was doing a podcast on a friend's podcast yesterday and I was talking about this story. I don't know if you guys have heard this story. I was sitting on my couch in 2018. I remember this because it's a year after my daughter was born. And I like, I love the look of muscles on women. Like it shows dedication. I think it's attractive. And I remember thinking like, I'll work out when I retire and I have like no plans to retire. (laughs) And I'm like, I caught the thought, catch your thoughts, right? These limiting beliefs that are in there, like facts that like, until you see them and catch them and work on that skill, they run your life. And I was like, oh my God, my plan is to work out when I'm retired. Do I want to be that person? Do I want to be the person who doesn't get fit until I retire? And I I was listening to Alex Hormozzi on Instagram. He's a a cool businessman guy. And he's like, learn to work out when you're busy. Because if you don't learn to work out when you're busy, when you're less busy, you still won't be working out because you didn't learn that skill, right? And I think of the same about sex. Like learn how to prioritize your sex life when you're busy. Because when you're less busy, you won't have incorporated sex into your life. You still won't do it. Uh, Remind yourself what you want. Sex is a skill. Desiring is a skill. Being physically fit is a skill. And you have to practice these skills. And exercise and desire for sex and sex is a slower drip of dopamine than like that highly concentrated dopamine of like food, alcohol, Netflix, porn. What else am I missing? Video games. Like highly concentrated drips of dopamine. We actually have to get rid of those, use those less in our life to enjoy that slower drip of dopamine that comes from having to work a little bit more, right? It's not it's not as concentrated and just fed to us passively like the humans in the Wally movie, right? Um, desire for sex or desire for anything will move through you. You have to learn how to keep generating it. We need to create desire to accomplish our dreams. And hope for something feels different than committing to something, committing to a lifestyle, committing to behaving and becoming a certain way. When you believe in your goal, discipline for that goal becomes easier. And I love this other quote too, is I think this is Brooke Castillo. You don't want to get good at hoping for something. And that's what I was. I was sitting on the couch hoping for biceps, hoping that I was going to do that when I retired, hoping to retire so I could do it, right? I was getting very good at hoping for something instead of the identity crisis of, oh, somebody who has muscles uh, doesn't sit on the couch wishing they had muscles. They're working on their muscles, right? Somebody who has a happy, healthy sex life isn't sitting around wishing for a happy, healthy sex life. They have the identity, they've worked on it, they've learned how to communicate, all of the things. So that's what I want to leave you guys with today. A little bit of science, a little bit of optimism, a little bit of motivation, a little bit of July, you are not broken, media empire update. I love you guys so much. I'm here for it all.
whatever you need. Come join me. I've got oh, so many more things. I can see you on Instagram. I can see you on the Facebook group. Come and visit me in the membership. Um, I'm not on TikTok. I got off of it. I have a friend who wants me to get back on it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Not this year. Nope. Not my style. All right, guys. I love you. Remember, until next time, you are not broken. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of You Are Not Broken. If you want to dig deeper with me, sign up for my adult sex education masterclass where you learn adult things like communication skills, anatomy lessons, and desire types, and how to talk to your doctor about sexual health concerns. If you want the adult sex education masterclass for free, join my monthly membership for more in-depth, exclusive content, more time with yours truly, a private podcast, coaching, and educational empowerment. And you can watch my interviews live and get them immediately without advertising. Head over to www.kellycaspersonmd.com for the membership and adult sex ed masterclass. Members get the masterclass for free. This podcast is presented solely for educational, entertainment, and informational purposes only. I am a doctor, but not your doctor in this format. And all of my platforms and guests, including on this podcast, are not giving individual medical advice or practicing medicine. See and consult with your own care team for your individual needs and concerns. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for the care and advice of a physician, therapist, or other qualified professional. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, in case you were curious about that, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. But I still love you. Using the information on this podcast or any of my platforms is at your own risk. Until next time, remember, you are not broken.